but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And you read this and you may think, but wait, I accepted Jesus, aren't I saved? Yes, you are. Because you see, you need the Greek word. The Greek word saved there is sozo, which doesn't mean saved in the manner of like we are saved for eternity. What it means is the completeness or the whole entirety of God's um, love and everything he can, his blessings, if you will. According to Matthew 24, 13, those who endure this marathon of life will experience the fullest to blessings of God. This experience is in every area of our lives. I do have to tell you, it may not always be in this life. It may be, well, it definitely will be in the next one. In James 5.11, he also talks about the same thing. I have the same eyes as Jimeline, so I may not I have to put my glasses on. As you know, we consider blessed those who persevered, you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, when you read that, you might think like me. Well, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. This world doesn't feel like that. Our worlds don't always feel like that, do they? If we're being truthful. Why am I sick? Why are my family members sick? Why did I lose my job? Why have I lost so many things? You know, what is all this horrible stuff going in the world, but yet the Lord is full of compassion and mercy? Jesus says, remember Job? Remember the heroes of the Old Testament? Heroes of the Old Testament. And they had it bad. It was not easy for them. It was hard, and a lot of them were put to death. A lot of them, and they were the prophets. There was one prophet in particular who's very interesting. His name is Jeremiah. You don't hear a whole lot about him. But he was known as the weeping prophet. Historical records said he was tied up, thrown in a dungeon, because his enemies didn't like his message. Other prophets and priests made fun of him. His family and friends rejected him. He was beaten, humiliated, ridiculed. And for 42 years he preached, and not a single person responded. I think that's a good lesson to us. You know, we are not called to be successful. We are called to be faithful. You know why they didn't like his message? Because God told him that Judah was going to be destroyed, basically, because of their activity, their immorality, their turning away from God. And so um, poor Jeremiah had to deliver this. This is like, you know, shoot the messenger, because he kept telling him, and, he, and he, it was difficult. Jeremiah, matter of fact, in Jeremiah 12, 5, he was just about to throw in the tallies. I'm tired. This is done. I can't do this anymore. You know, I'm not reaching anybody. I'm not doing anything. And God said, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in a safe country, how will you manage in the thickets of Jordan? In other words, Jeremiah, yeah, you've been in some battles. If you're fainting now, how are you going to handle it when the really hard times hit? He went on to tell him that the Babylonians were going to take the Jewish nation and they were going to carry them out of their homeland, which they did. He said, Jeremiah, you think it's tough now? It's only getting worse. I know what lies ahead and I am building you up for those trials. God does that. He builds our faith in little things. And when the big things hit, wow. 
then we know we've seen him work in little things. So we know he's going to continue to work in big things. If God used hard times for Jeremiah and the Babylonians, you know, you want to say, why didn't he just destroy the Babylonians and get rid of them and it would have saved the whole thing? For the same reason, he doesn't take away our problems and our troubles. For one thing, um, God used other countries to continually bring the Jews back to him, continually, because they would wander away and they would start intermarrying and they'd get into idolatry and all kinds of things. And so God would send another stronger uh, person or, or country to take them over. And it wasn't pleasant. And they didn't learn real quick either because this happened time and time again. But God doesn't take away our problems because it started in the beginning, ever since the beginning of the world. Adam and Eve, when they ate that apple, and they, what they were telling God is, I'm not going to listen to you. I don't want you ruling over me. I want to do my own thing my own way. And when they did that, the title deed of earth went to Satan at that point. And if you doubt me, look up 1 John 4.19. It says, the whole world is under the evil one. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, the God of this world, little g, of this world, has blinded men of those that don't believe. Satan is in control. In 2 Peter, it says, you know, Satan roams around like a hungry lion looking for who he can devour. Humanity has continually rebelled against God, and that's why we have death and disease and tragedy and troubles. You know, we have hurricanes and things hit, and they say an act of God. It is not an act of God. Look at the other side. It's the act of Satan. I have to tell you, the biggest ploy Satan has is people don't believe he exists. And he is not that cute little guy in Halloween with the red horns and the, and the pitchfork and all that. No, Satan comes looking beautiful. Because if he, if he came looking like he really did, we'd run. But no, instead he comes looking gorgeous. He looks like, well, this is going to be fun. Just drink a little bit of it, no problem. Then, you know, years later when you're an alcoholic, that's different. Or, you know, hey, a little bit of drugs, it's fun. And then you don't see down the line where you're emaciated and in a gutter somewhere. Satan makes it look good. And in our worlds personally, if we rebel against God, it will reap destruction. And it not only reaps destruction on us, it reaps destruction on those around us because we can choose our sin, but we cannot choose our consequences. The good news is, Jesus promises to be with us in our problems. That's the good news. Since he knows what's coming down the road and he can see what's ahead, he says, I'm going to get you ready. And not only am I going to get you ready, I promise to be with you always. Believe me, when we had a son born missing part of his heart, I've said this before, I knew Jesus was next to me every minute of every day, every minute of every day. I could feel him there. And other people going through severe things like that will tell you as well that they can feel Jesus right there. When things are going great, you know, we just kind of go on with our lives and say, yeah, thank you, Lord, for this day. But boy, when you've got tragedy hit, you're on your knees. A perfect example of not really understanding the things that are going on around us is the mama giraffe. I read this, and it was quite interesting. You know, when she gives birth, she does it standing up. So little Junior enters the world folding 10 feet on his head to start with. 
That's why they have those little stubby things. That is the only purpose for those stubby things, so he doesn't break his neck when he falls. Welcome to the world. And then, Mama does something weird. She bends down her neck, she checks him if he's okay. She will take her leg and swing it as hard as she can and kick him. And she will do it several times until he finally stands up with his wobbly little legs. And if he falls down again, she will wind up and do it again. Then, when he finally gets up on all four, she will wind her leg up and knock him out from under him, and down he goes. And this goes over and over. The first hour of life, that little guy learns to get up and to move. If for no other reason than I have a psycho mama. <laughs> but see, why does Mama Giraffe do this? She doesn't do it because she is psycho. She doesn't do it because she is mean. What she instinctively knows is there are predators out there who watch that birth, hyenas and lions and cougars and anything. If, if that baby cannot get up and move with the herd quickly, that little guy won't live 24 hours. Something that I'm sure we all can relate to, I know I can, especially since the first of the year, I feel like every time I got up, I got my legs knocked out from under me time and time again. I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop, and I feel like I'm a centipede. <sighs> the Lord is teaching us something, and I'm still waiting to see what it was through all of this. But I do know for a fact that he loves me enough, and even though I don't understand him, even though we don't understand him, we don't understand what's going on. And sometimes we want to yell. We want to yell at God and go, what is going on? Why are you doing this to me? There is some more comforting news, though. Psalm 56.8 says, you number my wanderings. Put my tears in a bottle. Are they not in your book? He catches each tear we shed. And believe me, from the beginning of the year, I have shed buckets. He also tells us, you know, when we go through hard times and we come out the other end, we can help others. And that is a huge blessing to us when we help others. For one thing, it gets us out of ourselves. But when you see you're helping somebody else, it makes you feel better no matter what you're going through. The other thing I noticed is Jesus is the only, only one who can bring us through hard times and turn our garbage into something positive, into something beautiful. He takes those ashes and he makes it into something wonderful. It is amazing when I look back over my life and things that I thought were so hard and I see now um, God's hand in it. So what is the key to this endurance? God is with us. That is the key. You have to know that, that God is with you. Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as the greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead 
to his reward. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's court. He was next in line to be Pharaoh, as a matter of fact, which back then meant he was God. That's what they looked at Pharaoh as being. But yet he said, I want to be with God's people. I don't want to be with in, the, in this life of sin because I know what's coming down the line. We go through suffering, tribulation, difficulties, but I got to tell you, to me, that is still better than the best this world has to offer. This world is very short-lived. Paul said to, um, live is, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Understand this. If you don't know Jesus, this is as good as it's going to get. This is your heaven. This is as good as it's going to get. Those of us who have accepted Jesus know that this is our help because it's only getting better. That's the promises. That's the promises. That's what I look forward to. So Moses, 40 years of age, said, I'd rather be with God's people and suffer than be in this life in Egypt. So he spent 40 years in the wilderness because he ran away. And then God went to him and said, I need you to lead the Jews out of Egypt, which I love that part in Exodus. If you read it, he literally argues with God because God tells him to do that, and he goes, I, I can't do that. I stutter, and he goes, I'll take care of that. And he just gives him all these reasons why he can't do it till it says the Lord's anger burned against him. Oof, he could have been like a little puddle of pus with a couple of eyeballs sticking out, I would think. But he did it. He goes there. You know, it's funny. Um, I heard of a little boy at a dinner party one night with his parents, and he was a precocious little boy, and he was telling all of the adults around him what he had learned in Sunday school. It was so exciting. He said, we learned that, that Moses led the Jews out of Egypt, and God parted the Red Sea, and three million Jews went across on dry land. And some older gentleman said, oh, it's not the Red Sea. It was the Reed Sea. He walked across on, you know, like a foot of reeds. And the little boy thought for a minute, just a minute, and he said, wow, God drowned the entire Egyptian army in a foot of reeds. <laughs> the Jews would see incredible miracles, like the parting of the Red Sea. And the funny thing is, the next thing, they were whining and complaining. I read a commentary about parting the Red Sea one time, that in order to get three million Jews and all of their stuff, because Exodus 12:35 says, you know, even ask your Egyptian neighbors for their gold and silver. Well, I don't think they carried it on their backs. So they had their stuff, they had their animals, they had everything when they left that night. So imagine coming up to the Red Sea and you've got mountain, mountain, Red Sea, Egyptian army behind you. Imagine that traffic jam. But to get three million Jews across the Red Sea and all of their stuff in one night, God did not just open this little lane like those of us that have been to Universal Studios and it's about a tram worth. No. God opened up an area five miles wide to get three million Jews across in one night. That's quite a miracle. And then for another 40 years, poor Moses had to lead those whiny, three million whiny people for 40 years. 40 years. I can't imagine what that was like. You know, what, how many bathroom stops? <laughs> how many, I'm hungry, I'm tired, my feet hurt. 
I can't imagine, yeah. Are we there yet? <laughs> you know, when we first moved to Arnold, we had four kids in just under five years, or under six years. Scott was one. We lived in a very small rental when we first got here while we were building our house, and it was literally, you could plug in the vacuum and vacuum the whole place with four kids. Jared turned six two weeks before Jared, uh, Scott was born, so there was a lot of little kids running around. And when they whined, it would drive me crazy because there was no escaping. You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't get away from them. So I would go, you know what? You can cry if you want. You can whine if you want. Just go to the room, close the door. And Scott, my sweet Scott, he was the only one. Now, he's one. If he started to whine, he automatically went into his room and closed the door. And I went, yes! <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> oh. But poor, million, poor Moses had three million whiners. At one point, they said, why didn't you leave us in Egypt? We had it so good. It's like, you were slaves for 400 years. How good did you have it? And then, we need water. Did you bring us here to die? We need food, manna. God gave them manna every morning, fresh manna. And they're going, I'm sick of cooking this a thousand ways. I want a pizza. God gave them quail. You know, even Miriam, his sister, whined against him. And then his brother Aaron, the Levite priest, I love this. While Moses is up on Mount Sinai and he is getting the Ten Commandments, what is Aaron, the priest, doing down the mountain? He's helping them fashion a golden calf to worship. That's where the term holy cow came from. <laughs> I can't, I can't, and I love it. If you read that account, it's so funny because, you know, Aaron got all of the now get this, the men and women to put in their earrings, so evidently the men wore them too, um, to throw all their gold in. And Aaron tells Moses, well, we threw the gold in and out popped the calf. Okay, out popped the calf. And it wasn't easy, it was hot and dry, they're leading through the desert. You think you're going through dry times, think of Moses. You think people don't like you, think of Moses. In um, Exodus 17.4, it says, Three million Jews rose up as a single man with rocks in his hand to stone him. Man, he had a tough time. But how in the world did Moses make it? How do you live through that kind of rejection from the outside and the inside? Where, how do you live through the constant troubles? 11, Hebrews 11.27 says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, but he endured as seeing him who is invisible. In other words, Moses saw God's hand in every situation. The worst Christ has to give is still better than the world has to offer us. I don't know if that show is still on, the rich and famous, the lives of the rich and famous or whatever. I couldn't even begin to watch that, to, to look at Hollywood and, oh, they look beautiful, and they, they look tremendous, right. But there's so much death. And there's drugs, and they're, if they're that happy, they're alcohol and, and divorces nonstop. This world is not our home, and I'm thankful of that. Pleasures of sin are but for a short time, but eternity in hell is very long. It reminds me when Bill and I were in Israel, we got to go see the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is gorgeous. I mean, it looks like the Mediterranean. It's absolutely beautiful. But nothing can live in it and nothing can grow in it because the salt content is so high. It's why it's the Dead Sea. 
And that's what I think of when I think of rich and famous. You look beautiful on the outside. Outside doesn't matter. It's what's inside that counts. I actually saw an interview on TV one night with a man, I won't name him, from big in Hollywood, and he was talking about his huge $65 million mansion that he was living in and describing it to the host. And then he all of a sudden turned to, but the homeless down there. And the host said, well, why, you know, do you help? What do you do to help? And he, oh, no, no, let the government take care of them. And I'm thinking, you live in a $65 million mansion. Why can't you live in a $55 million mansion and give $10 million to help somebody? But how did Moses survive? And it was by seeing God's hand in every situation. Do we do that? Or do we just take the good times and say, thank you, Lord, and when the bad times come, we may run. We may turn our backs. We may shake our fist at God. I had a job one time that I absolutely loved, and it took a, I worked about 80 hours a week, and I absolutely loved this job, and I felt like God had put me in this job, and through no, no fault of my own, it had been taken away from me, and I had poured my life into it. Believe me, I was asking, why, Lord? I thought I was doing such a good thing. I was working for you. As the years panned out, I actually saw that God needed to work on others, and as he did, I realized he saved me out of a lot of heartache. Think about it like this. Bill brings home some beautiful chocolate chip cookies, which is one of his absolute favorite things in the whole world. And as I walk in, he's opening the container, and he's just about to take a bite of that wonderful chocolate chip cookie. And I look at it, and I run up, and I grab it out of his hand, and I grab the whole box, and I throw him in the garbage and hit the compactor, and he looks at me and goes, are you nuts? What are you doing? And I said, I just read that those are laced with poison. And he has a choice at that point. He could say, I was looking forward to that, and you blew it. Or he could say, wow, you knew something I didn't know, and you saved me. When things go absolutely crazy and we don't understand, we have a choice to make. We can either shrivel up, we can be angry at God, even walk away. If this is merciful and loving, I don't want any part of it. I'm sure some of us may have said that a time or two. We can be mad at God and scream, why? Or we can say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to claim your promises. You promised to be with me in the hard times. You promised to make something good out of this. You promised to be my protection and my strength. I know that you love me so much. You died for me. I choose to believe everything is in your hands, just as Moses saw that everything was in God's hands. Personally, I understand closed doors. If I'm praying about a decision... I don't go, Lord, open the doors. I go, no, Lord, close the doors. I don't understand open doors. Close door. I should have a pug nose. I have had so many doors slammed in my face. But I look at that and go, thank you, Lord. You didn't want me there, and I'm fine with that. If you truly believe God loves you and is control, he's closed the door for a reason. He knows what's coming down the line, and he doesn't want you there. So how could Moses endure 40 years with these stiff-necked, whiny people? People who saw God perform miracle one minute, and then when things weren't going right, they wanted to stone him. But he saw that God's hand was in everything. If you look at God's hand, what do you see? You will see a giant nail print in his hands. When I see that, 
the invisible God who became visible man in Jesus Christ. I see his hands. I know I have no choice but to say, if you love me that much, to go to the cross for me and to be plunged into hell so I never have to. I can trust you with my life. I know I can trust you with my life. I may not understand what's going on. I may not like what's going on, but I trust you, Lord. We are not to be passively, not to passively trust, but actively. Hebrew 11 shows us that faith and endurance are tied together. Faith, as described in Hebrews 11, is the substance, substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. There is no such thing as blind faith. On the contrary, faith sees far more than unbelief. We see in an entirely different dimension. This time on our earth is very short compared to eternity in heaven. That is promised to all of us who love Jesus. In 2 Kings 6.17, Gehazi, who is Elisha's servant, the enemy had surrounded the cabin they were in because the king hated him, again, because he was a man of God. Um, and Gehazi looks out there and he says, we're totally surrounded, we are toast. And Elisha prays and he said, God, open his eyes. And when he did, Gehazi could see that there was a whole army of angels around the bad guys. Faith sees what unbelief never does. Faith sees in another dimension. We see in the realm of the supernatural. 11, uh, Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what was seen was made out of what wasn't visible. The Hebrew word for create is bara, which means God made the, this world out of nothing. He didn't grab an old planet and do a DIY and refurbish it. He made it out of nothing. And strangely enough, Einstein agrees with him. Did you know that? His famous quotation is e, e, e equals mc squared. And I had to look up what it really meant. I'm not that smart. Energy equals mass times speed of light squared. Didn't mean a lot yet. On the most basic level, it says, equation says that energy, mass, matter, in other words, are interchangeable. Changeable. They are different forms of the same thing. So mass comes from energy, and the world was framed by the word of God. That's energy. Do you know that you are presently framing your own world right now, just like a framer frames a house? You decide, what are you framing your, your world with? Are you framing your world with anger? Are you framing your world with unbelief? Are you framing your world being mad at God? Are you doubting and complaining? Maybe you don't even like the house you live in. Maybe it's fallen down around you. But you've got nobody to blame because you're framing your own house. You built it, you framed it with cynicism and complaining and faltering. We have another option, which is to frame our world with faith. It's to frame our world with the word of God. Study the scriptures. Claim those scriptures. The ones like Romans 8.28, for we know that all things God works together for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Or Nehemiah 8.10, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. 
Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Today, you can build your house by seeing and trusting God, or you can murmur. Speak the promises of God to each other. Pray over each other the promises of God. Build a world that is in, in accordance with God and his scriptures. Speak the words of faith, and you will endure. In World War II, Winston Churchill, we've all heard of, evidently was a portly man. I guess he was about 250 pounds and about that tall. England lived through Germany's Blitzkrieg as the Third Reich dropped thousands of bombs on London. And Hitler and probably the countries around were all watching, thinking they can't possibly survive this. But Winston Churchill went on the air many times a day saying, hang in there. We can do this, we can endure, and London never, fall, never fell. I recently read that years later, he was called back to an alma mater he had to do the graduation speech. It was a very preppy boys' school, and so he agreed. And the, the headmaster was so excited, for weeks he went around saying, Winston Churchill's coming here, the greatest orator of all time. I want you to sit there, make sure you have a pen and pencil, and you, a pen and paper, and you write every word he says. It's so important. So Winston Churchill finally got there. Service began. A lot of flowery introductions. Everybody's sitting there with pen and pencil just ready to go. He finally rose. Churchill walked up to the podium and he said, gentlemen, never give up. Never give up. Never, 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 never give up. And then he sat down. I'm sure, I don't know what they thought, but I'm sure they can memorize that one. That's what Jesus says to us, never give up. He that endures will, will achieve God's blessings to the fullest. It may not be on this short time of earth, but it definitely will be later forever in eternity. So when the Father or the world seems to be kicking your wobbly legs out from under you and you don't understand what's going on, know that God loved you so much to die for you. You're not in this alone by any means. He promises in Hebrews 13.5, Joshua 1.5, and Deuteronomy 31.6, never will I leave you or forsake you. Enduring by see, endure by seeing the invisible God. He is with you. His hand is in everything. And endure by framing your world with faith and never give up.